Recently, you've been talking a lot about red meat, and I know that you have three reasons now why people shouldn't be eating red meat. Reason number one, everybody write this down, four letters, T-M-A-O. It actually promotes hardening of the arteries, and it promotes clumping of the blood. And if you have hardened arteries and clumped blood, you're having a stroke or a heart attack. That's where it comes from, red meat and egg yolk. Well, hello there, and welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thanks so much for taking the time to give the show a listen this week or a download. Maybe it's a view on YouTube. Wherever it is that you are, we appreciate the fact that you are here. There's already so much evidence that shows that red meat and healthy diets are, in fact, mutually exclusive. Gobbs of research has shown that eating red meat increases the risk of colon cancer, pancreatic cancer, stomach cancer, so many things. And one of the studies that was done on this is just enormous. We're talking about more than 120,000 people being tracked for nearly 30 years. Now, this was an analysis that was done at the Harvard School of Public Health. And what they found was that eating just one serving of red meat every day spikes the risk of death by 12%. But in that same study, researchers showed that skipping the burgers and steaks, it dropped the same risk by as much as 19%. That's a huge swing. And of all of those who died over that three-decade span, Researchers also concluded that many of those deaths could have been prevented just by taking red meat off of their plate. And that's really just the tip of the iceberg. So now on today's show, I'm going to be joined by Dr. Joel Kahn. He's here. He's going to be giving us three new reasons not to eat red meat. Talking about research that is hot off of the press is brand spanking new research. He and I had a chance to catch up at the International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine. Going to play that interview as we continue to examine all of those wonderful conversations that we had during the conference. And this is a really fun conversation that you're going to enjoy. He's a passionate guy, that Dr. Khan. Then we're going to change gears and we're going to answer this question. Does a hamburger from McDonald's or a veggie burger have a bigger impact on diabetes? Which is it? Our own Dr. Hanna Kaliova had 20 men chow down in the name of science to get the answer. And she's going to be joining us to go over those results. Going to be doing a deep dive on what she and her team discovered. And I will tell you this without giving away too much of a spoiler. If you have type 2 diabetes, you're going to want to stick around. There is some very promising information to come out of this one. But before we get there, we need to start here. And right here is with Dr. Joel Kahn and his three new reasons not to eat red meat. my next guest needs absolutely no introduction he is a man he is a myth he is a legend he is playing with the microphone there's a reason <laughs> we had you know john joseph of I the Cro-Mags. oh my god he's rich rolls number one most favored uh, interview and he was in detroit rocking out punk vegan music 
And man, I just watched him just rock it. I just wanted to do it once. John Joseph, I love you. And with that, we welcome Dr. Joel Cotton to the show. <laughs> welcome, my friend. Thanks for being here. You bet. You bet. Uh, we are at the International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine. That- 2019 edition how's it been treating you so far i thought we were like at a cordon blue chef course because we just had the most amazing plant-based oil-free meal it's you know i've gone to medical meetings my whole life it's amazing that this stands out with just a little extra effort at a hotel what yeah. they can do so meeting's been great it's always i love it's top level science i love seeing people i right love on. seeing people wear amazing shirt and ties you're my but, guy you know show me new science from academic centers best stuff just right. Screws me up. DrJoelCon.com is where people can find you. Um, recently, you've been talking a lot about red meat, and I know that you have three reasons now why people shouldn't be eating red meat. We've heard a lot about them in the past. I'm curious to get your take on it. Thank red you. Meat. And I'm interviewing right now for Neil and Bernard so that I can get on stage next year and give the five new reasons because there will be more by next year. But <laughs> reason number one, everybody write this down, four letters, T-M-A-O. And I'm really quick. In the last eight years, science out of the Cleveland Clinic and now all over the world, if you eat red meat, it has an amino acid called L-carnitine. doesn't matter if it's grass-fed or it's grain-fed, it has L-carnitine. And if you eat an egg yolk, it has choline. When it gets in your gut, if you're an average American, it causes the production of a chemical nobody talked about 10 years ago, TMAO. There's now a routine blood test I do in my heart clinic in Detroit, and I can measure the blood level through Quest Labs. The point is, it actually promotes hardening of the arteries, and it promotes clumping of the blood. And if you have hardened arteries and clumped blood, you're having a stroke or a heart attack. So TMAO has become a big deal. That's where it comes from, red meat and egg yolk. It's mm-hmm. like the vegan docs designed this molecule to uh, educate the public. It's not the case. It's our physiology. Interestingly, if you're a plant-based person and you get paid to eat a steak for a research project, you don't make this molecule because your gut doesn't know what to do with it. We got an advantage. Right, right. This week, here's reason number one. They did a randomized study in Australia. 45 people put on the Paleolithic diet. It's still hot, although it's fading a little. A lot of meat, a lot of greens, a lot of berries. It's not junk food, so it's better than junk food, but it's a lot of meat. And they put them on a standard Australian diet. TMAO levels very high on the paleo diet. Now, mm-hmm. the paleo authors, the paleo doctors, the paleo food producers aren't going to blast that. It was blasted all over the world news. It's just one more reason to consider these new trendy diets like the paleo diet that, you know, 10 to 15 years of uh, headline news for the paleo diet. Bad idea. You know, the berries and the greens, great. The right. increased red meat, doesn't matter grass-fed, doesn't matter grain-fed, doesn't matter organic. It's in the red meat. That's uh, reason number one. I would assume Atkins and keto, kind of the same principles would sure, apply there. Yeah. Sure, They weren't the source of the diet described sure, in this recent sure. study. Absolutely. If yeah. you're eating a ribeye and calling it the carnivore diet, the keto diet, you're definitely going to expose you to this atherosclerosis. You know, these diets are new. Heart disease and cancer can take 10 to 20 years to come up into your life. If you've been doing keto for a year, you have no idea what you're doing to your risk. You know, right. In my opinion, you're jacked up your risk of cancer and heart disease a lot. So, number one. You want to go to number two? Yeah, let's go, man. Number two is like wild. Number two reason not to eat red meat is a red meat allergy. If you've been reading the headlines, the last two years, there's a tick that was first described in the state of Virginia, the Lone Star Tick, because of a little mark on its back. Looks a little bit like the, the Lone state Star. Of Texas. Yeah, you the would think Lone Texas, but here Star it is Tick. Virginia, my home state. They did a study that if you're in the hospital in Virginia, University of Virginia, Charlottesville, 24% of people had an antibody from having been bit by the Lone Star Tick. It doesn't cause Lyme disease. 
But again, talk about this unbelievable scientific tidbit. That antibody from having been bit by the tick cross-reacts with red meat. No kidding. And what does it cross-react with? There's actually a carbohydrate in red meat. It's not all fat and protein. Little tiny bit called alpha-gal. Immunologists, allergists know what this is. The next time you eat a burger after being bit, the next time you have a hot dog, the next time you have a steak, your eyes are itching, your nose is running, you're scratching, you start to wheeze. You can have anaphylactic shock from eating red meat after the tick bite. But 24%, that's like huge numbers. Wow. People in Virginia have EpiPens and a little bracelet that says red meat allergy. So in the past few years, it's all the way up to Maine. It's all the way up to Minnesota. It's actually now in the state of Texas. We brought the Lone Star Tick to the Lone Star State. It's actually, I feel badly for the people that have that. It's as serious as a nut allergy. They're going to announce on Delta Airlines soon, we have a red meat allergy person. You can't eat red meat on our flight. Maybe. But um, it's a real serious medical problem. So just don't eat red meat. Haven't even heard of that one yet. Yeah, it's actually like a large body of science. Alpha-gal is the carbohydrate in meat. And uh, allergists have been dealing with it, but it's increasing in frequency. Okay. I don't wish ill on people, but we, you know, we have to recognize the science is there. And number three? Yeah, go for it. This is like insane. So it turns out on the membrane of our cells, this is like the kind of science we talk about here. There's a carbohydrate called NU5AC, NEU. This is new science, and this is NU5AC, NEU, 5AC. We are one of the only mammals on the planet that can't take that molecule, and there's an enzyme, and turn it into something called NU5GC. So when we're babies, we have no NU5GC. Where do you find NU5GC? In cow meat, in red meat. So there's a molecule in red meat we've never seen when we're born. What happens to foreign molecules? We make antibodies to them. We think it's an invader. Right. You know, no cow would think it's an invader. We think it's an sure, invader. Sure, sure. These antibodies have been described in the last few years to actually attack our arteries. And part of the injury, it's smoking, it's blood pressure, it's blood sugar, it's right. the diet, it's a lack of exercise, it's genetic. Part of the injury may be red meat, triggers an antibody, goes right back to the artery, and cause xenocellitis. That's a word nobody's heard of. Yeah, say that yeah. three times fast. Xenocellitis, xenocellitis, xenocellitis. <laughs> but um, this is actually in the news this week, Proceedings of the National Academy of Science. This is like the premier heavy science article that uh, more and more data says red meat introduces a foreign object. What's your choice? Sure, they're going to try and come up with a drug that blocks it or a vitamin that blocks it. Mm-hmm. Don't eat red meat. So, number one, TMAO. Number two, tick. Lone Star Tick. Number three, new 5GC. We're just not built to eat certainly a lot of red meat. You could argue in 2019, we're not built to eat red meat. No. So those are definitely three new reasons not to eat red meat. I yeah, I, you know, really? we can talk about no fiber. We can talk about no vitamin C. We can talk about high saturated fat. Uh, we can talk about it slows down your colon transit and increases your risk of cancer or causes cancer if you process red meat. But these are three new ones that have just been in headlines. And, you know, I have declared 2019 the year to be uh, not a butcher. It's a really bad year to be a butcher. Now, in your practice, when you're working with patients and you share this type of information with them, is their mind just kind of blown? Like, I've been eating red meat my entire life and I had no idea. Yeah, they, you know, I try and be gentle with them, but um, I gauge it on the degree of diabetes, heart disease, cancer risk they're at. But I give them the science. As you know, I don't have skin in the game. That's one of the most frequent arguments is don't listen to that guy. He's a vegan doctor. Don't listen to Dr. Garth Davis. Don't listen to Dr. Neil Barnard. These guys are so biased. And 
why do we do this? Because we read the science, we see the health problems as medical doctors, we see the improvement that occurs and turns around, the prevention, the reversal. And so I'm very much just an advocate for my patient's health, and I will just lay it out for them. You know, you can put your head in the sand all you want, but you're going to pay the price most likely. I think it's important for people to realize that the majority of people who are plant-based didn't start off plant-based. Nor it did was I. that research that, that brought them to that decision, like, hey, I should probably get on board this train. Do you remember what specific research it was that was that aha moment for you? Well, you know, I was delivered by a stork, so there was an animal involved right at the beginning, and that's right. I actually adopted a plant-based diet at age 18. It was because of, it's a very emotional story, horrible dorm food at Ann Arbor University of Michigan. It's 42 years later. But it was, for me, the first thing was the, the book Diet for a New America by John Robbins. It was part science, part environment, part animal rights. I read it about age 24, and it really made a profound difference. And then 1990, Dr. Dean Ornish, that just sealed the deal. Because here I had something to start. 1990, I started cardiology practice. Oh, my God, thank you, you know, for the gift of now I have something to teach every patient. Even though I was putting stents, treating heart attacks, three in the morning, I had something to teach them that I didn't need to see them again. And basically worked myself out of a job because my patients eat better than average and they're educated. But you know what? You're true to your practice, though. Yeah, no, you got to do it. And there's... A whole lot of people that still need to be seen, and I still see patients. Yeah. How much progress have you noticed as a doctor in those what, three decades now uh, since you've been practicing as far as people's openness and acceptance of plant-based diets? Well, I'd say hospital administrators, uh, 1%, are not brain dead. 99% brain dead hospital administrators. I walk into Harper University Hospital in Detroit, Michigan. Wendy's is the first thing you see when you walk into University Hospital. Yikes. It's been there for years, so I can get the Baconator burger and the Baconator fries with a Pepsi. Mmm, that's good. It's terrible. And now we have got a burger joint in the other hospital that I practice at. So hospital COs, 1% to 2%, have both the scientific, moral, and ethical backbone to say it's just wrong and you know pcrm has been huge at pressuring uh, many places to close and reopen as a healthier version medical world it's the, it's better than that you know yeah. because you get to be 56 years old as a doctor you're looking tired you're feeling tired nothing below the waist is working nothing above the neck is working on that well that's when they are looking for solutions and they might actually start to eat better but they're going to say i eat chicken instead of red meat sure. and recent science in the last couple of months said that's now better for your heart and your cholesterol um it may be different for the red meat allergy issue but it's no better for your cholesterol the thing that blows my mind about having restaurants like that in hospitals is that you don't have to be a doctor you have you don't have to know a whole lot about nutrition to know that yeah. fast food isn't healthy for you and you go to a hospital to get well so yeah. why then would you be serving this at a place that you go to get fixed just let me just for a minute just act like a hospital administrator mm. That's the only reason. Yeah. It's right there. Yeah. Uh, and those are a lot of singles. <laughs> um, that is the only reason. There can't be another reason because you're right. That's too obvious. I mean, I'm actually developing, you don't know this, a, a crystal meth delivery program for hospital patients. A crystal yeah, meth? Yeah, you're in bed. You want your crystal meth. Why not? I mean, I'll give you a bacon. It's just as bad. So wow. it's literally, it's, I'm being cruel because this has been a passion of mine aligned with PCRM. I have a... Facebook page. I think it's the only Facebook page in the world that protests hospital food and bacon at hospitals every day. I post every day because there's plenty of data since the World Health Organization announced October 24, 2015, 
you know, processed red meat causes cancer. Should have been gamed on. Yeah. Every hospital should have said, ethically, we're stopping. And the Cleveland Clinic got this close till their employees pushed back hard enough that they gave up. You know, and, you know, it's funny. We talked about that on the show, and I'll never forget this this tweet that I got from somebody who was, like, just so furious that we did a show talking about the, you know, health risks associated with eating bacon. And, you know, we, we talked about the World Health Organization, and, and somebody sent this tweet, and they were like, what does the World Health Organization know? They're wrong about everything. And I'm just like, I, I don't know where to go with this. Yeah, you don't. You know, the, just because I know it, that was a heavily researched declaration, uh, October 2015, uh, 22 eminent scientists and over 800 research papers reviewed. Now, if you're an academic physician, you may have some conflicts. You may do pharmaceutical studies. You may get funding from the egg board or the dairy board. I mean, it's real-life academics and all. But this was not people that had you know, skin in the game. There may have been a vegan on the panel. That's often... Uh, a stone cast because that vegan scientist actually read the literature, made a personal decision, mm-hmm. just as I mentioned before. Yeah. But no, um, there has only been growing data since 2015 that that was a accurate declaration. So it's firmer and firmer in the scientific world. As I said, really bad year to be a butcher, 2019. And I think that even if there was a vegan on that panel, it's important for people to realize that, yes, it is possible for human beings to check their bias and present something independently. Because otherwise, no meat-eating scientist could ever comment on nutrition, which is going to be 95% of scientists. Let's play it right back in their face. It's not fair, and I do that as frequently as I can. Because, uh, you know, just eliminate that conversation. Let's look at the data. All right. So we talked about the fast food restaurants and hospitals, but you have a, a restaurant of your own, do you not? Yeah, working very hard in Detroit, Green Space Cafe and another one called Green Space and Go, whole food, plant-based, one very large and one smaller uh, family project with my very hardworking son, Daniel, and my very hardworking wife, Karen. You know, the passion, I saw it in L.A., I saw it in New York. I just couldn't find it in Detroit. We had nice small restaurants. So uh, we put, I say, I put my money where your mouth is. I call it 401k cafe, the whole thing. It's a hard business. And frankly, the Beyond Meat Burger and Impossible Burger have changed the dynamic because 35,000 restaurants have a plant-based burger option, not whole food plant-based, right, but right. plant-based. And it's uh, changed, uh, you know, where people are eating. It can be the local bar now. So... Uh, we're just up in our game to go healthier. Yeah, and I'm curious to get your opinion. I've asked Dr. Barnard about this in the past, his opinion on the Impossible Burger Beyond Meat, and he said it's good, but it's like methadone as far as, like, you're just kind of – it's a gradual step to get off of that drug, you know? Yeah, right. And so it's it's a step. Let's not stay there. Let's yeah. get better. I agree What's with that. It's a transition point. You yeah. know, um, I think in the net picture, number one, undoubtedly for animals, better. Undoubtedly for the environment, better. Uh, undoubtedly for investors, way better. Have you seen <laughs> Which, the stock? Uh, not. I mean, yeah. it's crazy. It's crazy. And now, now they're talking that their next product is uh, Beyond Meat Bacon, and there's going to be fish products this year. There already are by wonderful chefs like Chad and Derek Sarno. Um, chicken products are out there, but they're getting better and better. I hope they do lead ultimately to versions that are a little closer to whole food and a little lower in added oils. But um, I am very restrictive with my patients if they have advanced heart disease. Advanced heart disease, no deal. Hands off, you're eating. 
fruits, vegetables, legumes, and whole grains without added oil, without added sugar. But for those that are just transitioning for a variety of reasons, it's going to make it more comfortable. And now that you can literally on a road trip where you might have said before, there's nothing here but the barbecue joint and I'm going to go back to my old style. Yeah. You can't make that excuse anymore with Burger King and with Carl's Jr. and with Red Robin and all the others. There's a plant-based burger waiting for you, Tim Horton in a White Castle around the corner just skip the cheese skip the mayo skip the bun the bun's usually probably more, skip the plastic wrapping that's more toxic than yeah, the right. whole deal <laughs> eat eat the patty with a, a lettuce and a tomato you're not that bad off right um you, you mentioned it's, it's some of your your patients who may be in a little bit more rough shape you know their diet is a little bit more restrictive how do you get them to adhere to that fear of death no that's seriously a powerful I, i'm being honest as a cardiologist people you know the the king of this, appropriately, is Dr. Esselstyn, and he still runs a seminar once a month on a Friday in Cleveland. God bless him at his age with his energy, but his energy is high. But people do seek me out. I'm supposed to have bypass, supposed to have a stand. I had a heart attack. They've already located that there's a true source here, and they've got to do it. They try and negotiate it, but look, there is no oil. There is no processed. It's not Beyond Meat Burger. It's... You know, plenty of recipes, and it's not hard to do. And truly, many of them, three, four weeks, just like Dr. Ornish wrote about in 1990. Actually, he wrote in 1983, just like Dr. Elston wrote about in about 1990 or 1995. They feel better in three, four weeks. Their yep. stress does it better. So they're locked in. They get it. And they get evangelistic about it, which is just great. Um, if they're not in trouble, you know, you have to pick the size of the tool for the size of the problem. Right. What Dr. Ornish called the spectrum, you know, really sick, really intense diet. Going for general health, you know, there's a little more wiggle room. It's not into the meat and dairy, but uh, once in a while, a veggie pizza on the run, a veggie cheeses pizza is you know, not going to hurt an average public member. And and let's let's finish with this question. As a doctor, I mean, when you see this turnaround after those three or four weeks, and the patient has gone all in on this, and you're seeing them maybe come off of some of their medicine, and their symptoms just right. kind of fall away, that has to be pretty rewarding for you. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable what some people can achieve actually on their own. I mean, Doc, I'm here today, but two months ago I read this, I watched this, and I started that diet, and. The 28-pound weight loss and the blood sugar, blood pressure, the chest pain, the shortness of breath. It's really remarkable uh, how much this is self-care, how much this is watching Forks Over Knives. I have dozens of copies of Dr. Neil Bernard's program for reversing diabetes, That the new white copy, not the old blue copy that uh, patients walk out with, Dr. Asselstyn, my own books. And it's really it's some self-study. Now, if they're on a lot of medication, there should be a doctor guides them as they hopefully sure. can back sure, off. Sure. Some people hit a roadblock. The weight won't come off, and we got to look deeper into sleep and stress and um, hormonal levels and some stuff. But for most people, that's a miracle. Something more powerful than drugs can be administered at home in your refrigerator, your pantry, your farmer's market, your produce department. Been there their whole lives. They just didn't realize. I think somebody kind of did that I'm sitting next to. <laughs> Dr. Joel Kahn. People can find you at drjoelkahn.com. I assume you're a social media guy as well? No. I mean, I'm no? going to get on social media after I get. With your. Come on. Uh, That's about it. There is no uh, way with your personality I, you're I, not I, on the I reach, I reach a million people a week on social media. That's so, what I'm talking about. Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and LinkedIn. All of them. Dr. Oh. J-O-E-L-K-A-H-N. 
Joel Kahn, man. You are welcome back on this show anytime, my man. Thank you, buddy. Have you subscribed yet to the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee on Apple Podcasts? Please go ahead and do that right now and leave a five-star rating. Because when you do, you actually help improve our rankings so that others can find the show and learn this potentially life-saving information. Dr. Hanna Kaliova coming up in just a minute. But before she joins us, I want to congratulate everyone who made this year's DC VegFest such a huge success. Thousands and thousands of people filled Nationals Park here in Washington. That's a major league baseball stadium, by the way, and they filled it with plant-based enthusiasts. Really impressed by that turnout. And it was so amazing to bump into some exam room listeners while I was out there walking around. So thank you guys for saying hi. Nice folks like Jason, and then also got a chance to catch up with Cindy and her family, and Rebecca and her husband. We all had just a really fun time. But seeing so many people fill that stadium, it really makes you think that people are ready to take back control of their health. They're ready to help the environment, and they're ready to create a better quality of life for animals. So many reasons for being there, and all of them are good. By the way, if you have a VegFest in your city, if you're involved in it, it would be great if we could bring the exam room there. Do an episode on the road. So send me a message, and maybe we can do a show or two out there. Okay. As promised, it's time to bring on Dr. Hanna Kaliova to talk about her study that looked at the effect a McDonald's hamburger had on diabetes and how those effects differed from a plant-based burger. What were the results? We're about to find out. Continuing here on the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thanks for giving the show a listen and a download this week. Really appreciate it. We're about to dive into some fascinating research. That is maybe my favorite part of working here is being able to talk to the movers and shakers in the plant-based research field about what's the latest and greatest, what are we finding out about various things. And this particular study that we're about to discuss is a really interesting one. And if you are a fan of hamburgers, listen up, my friend. With that, we welcome our Director of Research for the Physicians Committee, Dr. Hanna Kaliova. Welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Are you a hamburger fan? I mean, that's that's my first question to you. <laughs> yeah, it was. This was a fun study. Uh, we compared the effects of a regular hamburger uh, with meat and cheese compared with a plant-based burger, a tofu burger, um, with the same amount of calories, with the same amount of macronutrients. Right. Um, so it was a fun study, you know, because you can go to either um, either to McDonald's or next door to get a plant-based burger. You know, both of these burgers are available on the market. We were using, you know, foods that were readily available. Right, right. Um, I want to, I, I pulled some hamburger statistics 
there's a reason why these foods are readily available. It yes. is because globally, hamburgers are ridiculously popular. It is mm -hmm. one of the most popular foods on the face of the earth. Uh, I know that this particular study that we're going to be discussing was conducted in your, your home of uh, the Czech Republic, correct? Yeah, it was conducted in Prague. Prague. Okay. Never been, but I hear it's nice. Everyone needs to visit. Everyone, Everyone who's listening needs to visit. Okay. It's beautiful. This, uh, this segment brought to you by the Travel and Tourism Center for Prague. Uh, all right, here we go. In America, though, let's talk about America, where we are right now. Americans eat 14 billion hamburgers Ooh, every year. Wow. Billion with a B. That's a lot of hamburgers. <laughs> and get this, the popularity, there are 50 states, 50,000 hamburger restaurants in America. That's a ridiculous a ridiculous amount. Yeah. That's a thousand per state. Right. And then if you think about a state that's small like Rhode Island, how are you going to cram a thousand <laughs> hamburger restaurants into Rhode Island? Like you would basically have one on every block. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of burgers, Dr. Kaliova. Yeah, that's mm. true. So who came up with this with this interesting idea to do this? Is it, was it because like everybody loves hamburgers? Exactly. It was my idea. Let's just, um, you know, take the regular foods that people are consuming on, a, on an everyday basis mm -hmm. and see um, what the hamburger does in your body. And more specifically, what does it do uh, when you have diabetes? Diabetes is such a complex disease. Um, but, you know, you, it may be surprising to many of our listeners, but diabetes starts in the gut. This is what people don't realize. This is interesting. And I think that there's something like 114 million Americans that are either diabetic or pre-diabetic. I think that that's the number. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. And in a country whose population I think is three and 328 million, I think that was the, the most recent census data. I mean, that's that's essentially one out of every three. That's that's a lot. And the numbers keep rising. Yeah. And, and two-thirds of this country being overweight or obese as well, of course those numbers are going to so, keep rising. So you don't want to get diabetes, um, but if you got diabetes, the good news is that you can reverse it. And we were looking at the mechanisms behind. So diabetes starts in the gut. Mm -hmm. It's completely dependent on what you eat. Okay. Uh, when we ingest food... Uh, incretins, um, these are hormones that are secreted in the gut, are secreted uh, and increase the insulin secretion from our pancreas. And of course, uh, every diabetic is afraid they will not be able to secrete enough insulin and they will need to take the insulin shots. Mm -hmm. That's like, you know, a big fear of every diabetic. Right. Uh, so the these incretin hormones that promote insulin secretion Mm -hmm. um, they are released to um, a less pronounced degree in diabetics. So the incretin effect is diminished. They have a less of, a, a, of an ability to secrete these incretin hormones from the gut. Now, why is that? You tell that's, me. <laughs> that's, that's exactly why we did this experiment. So we, we compared a regular hamburger with a veggie burger. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the same amount of calories, with the s same amount of macronutrients, the same amount of carbs, the same amount of fat, the same amount of protein. Right. And guess what? We found out that the veggie burger increased the, in, the, the secretion of incretin hormones in the gut by about 20%. Wow. And it increased the ability to secrete insulin in diabetics by 30%. 
which is an effect seen only in drugs that have been specifically developed to treat this condition that are called the DPP inhibitors or also incretin analogs. Uh, there are two classes of drugs specifically developed for this condition in diabetes. So if we're able to increase the in incretin and insulin secretion after a meal in diabetics, you know, this is really good news for all the diabetics. You don't need you don't need any special medications. You just need your veggie burger. Right, right. right. So um, going into the study, though, there had been previous research on the connection between red meat and diabetes, correct? So what what did you know going in? Exactly. Uh, so if you were to point out one specific food that's like the most risky for getting diabetes, mm-hmm. most people would say it's, su- it's sugar. Absolutely. Candies, cakes, things of that nature. But it's not. It's, r- it's red meat, particularly processed meat. Why is that? Um, it's because of the pathophysiology behind. It's because um, processed meat decreases the secretion of incretin hormones in your gut. It also um, stuffs your cells with saturated fat mm-hmm. um, that makes your cell membranes more rigid. So I- the insulin receptor that's embedded in the cell membrane is not able to work properly, which needs, which leads to insulin resistance. And glucose cannot get into the cells as readily. Uh, And also, um, the saturated fat from animal products um, is being stored in the muscle and liver cells and uh, is interfering with the insulin action in the cells. Wow. Okay. And... and we we have known about that now for at least a few years, a number of years, but still that that myth is out there. It's so prevalent that it is sugar, you know that that's that's the main cause. You know what's the culprit? What causes diabetes? M and M's. That's not necessarily the case. Um, I want to ask you uh, before we really do a deep dive into this study. Uh, what what type of burgers are we talking about here? So you said a tofu burger, right? Or is this a pretty like the kind of tofu burger we could go and pick up in our local store, or was this something that was custom made? Uh, absolutely. So uh, there are so many veggie burgers on the market. Uh, so we used a veggie burger that had tofu in it. Um, you know, but many of many of the veggie burgers that are available are made out of beans and veggies, and maybe some couscous or. Some some other grains. So there are so many options nowadays. And what about the beef options that were were served? Were these just your run-of-the-mill, just buy some ground beef, cook it up at home hamburgers, or was this a fast food type of burger? Uh, It was a fast uh, fast food type of a burger. Okay. We went to McDonald's. Um, they're specialists. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they have the biggest sales. So right. we went there. So we're, we're talking burger. just like the regular hamburger that's on the menu, not a Big Mac or a quarter pounder. Just the regular one. Okay. Yeah. Cheese? And with cheese. Yeah. With cheese. Okay. Uh, and how often were these, uh, the men in this study, how often were they eating these burgers? Was this a daily thing? Uh, so uh, it was an acute study. So they only came to our lab two times on two mornings for two morning sessions. Okay. They came in, came in fasting and we, in a random order, we fed them, um, you know, 
either the hamburger first or the veggie burger first. And then within one week, they had the other, the other meal. And they spent more than three hours with us because we were drawing their blood and we were um, measuring the you know, how fast they're able to secrete insulin, how what's happening to their blood glucose, um, what's happening with their uh, incretin hormones that are being released from the blood from from the gut into their bloodstream. Wow. Uh, and and I would imagine like all of this starts to happen pretty quickly after. They exactly. Eat, correct. Yeah. Um, Within 30 minutes or so, you can see uh, a sharp rise. Within 30 minutes. Okay. In these gut hormones and also in insulin secretion. Okay. So, I mean, could you draw the blood and then tell right away? Because I know if you're just simply checking blood sugar, I mean, you can check that pretty much instantaneously. But yes. if you're looking at checking gut hormones, I'm assuming then you have to take that sample, take it off to a lab, and then get the exactly. results back in a little yeah. while. Um, how many how many uh, men were participating in this study? Uh, so this study uh, was... Uh, kind of small. We had 20 men with type 2 diabetes, mm -hmm. but it was a crossover trial, uh, which means um, that you always gain power when you um, when you let each individual test out both of the meals. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, then each man is their own control for the next meal. Uh, so um, that that study was very well powered. And, and were we they, were able to see the differences very significantly, even in with this amount of people. Okay, so when when somebody eats a hamburger, a lot of people would say, "Okay, well, let's pair that with fries." Are we eating just the burger here, or just the burger? Just the burger, okay, <laughs> and no soda or anything like that. Uh, they had a hot drink with each burger. Oh, uh, so. Um, the hot drink served with the with the meat burger was again from from McDonald's, and uh, the hot um, drink with the veggie burger was from the restaurant that we, you know where we were picking up the burgers. Right, right, right. okay. That's uh, what what's the um, what's the deal with the with the hot drink? Why, why a hot drink? Why not a cold beverage? Uh, right. Uh, so uh, it has to do with um, our. Uh, need to match the macronutrients. So we, you know, even uh, when we loaded the veggie burger with some veganaise, uh, we still needed to add uh, some carbohydrates uh, to the uh, meat-based burger. Okay. Uh, so we needed to add a little bit of sugar uh, into the drink. Of course, it could have been also cold, a cold beverage, but we figured, you know, hey, we're picking up the burgers at McDonald's. Let's just go with their menu. Sure, sure. And so we went with cafe latte. Ah, the cafe latte. I is it more customary to have coffee and hamburgers in, in Prague than it is here? Because here it's like, <laughs> you know, burger and a Coke or something like that. So it's it's coffee and burgers over there? But at the same time, uh, these men were coming early in the morning and you don't feel like drinking your Coke. Most most people don't, at least. Mm. Uh, maybe it's different here in the States, um, yeah. but yeah. at least in my country, people prefer having a hot beverage. I think that that's a global thing. And now it all makes sense to me. Um, <laughs> Um, so knowing what you did about the correlation between meat and diabetes going into this study, were you surprised at all when you started to see the results start to come in? I was completely excited about how big of a difference we were able to see. Okay. 
Of course, I was expecting the the veggie burger to be better, you right. know, for your incretin and insulin secretion. But I was completely shocked by how how huge the the difference was. I mean, just swapping a veggie burger for a meat burger um, increases your insulin secretion by thirty percent. That, it's that's like, huge. It's amazing. That's and huge. these were men who've had their diabetes for eight years, ten years. You oh, know? okay. Not newly diagnosed. Exactly. So, you know, that's good news for all the diabetics out there. So talk to me. You just said 30%. Talk to me, uh, you know, in terms of the effectiveness of that versus medication that they have been on. You know, how, how effective is diet versus medication in, in treating diabetes here? Uh, it's completely comparable to the effect of their medications. Get out of town. So, you know, it's just amazing. Yeah, you have a huge smile on your face. <laughs> like, you're so jazzed up to talk about this. I love it. Um, so this was published in the journal Nutrients. I think that this That's particular study. Yeah. Um, That's and correct. And it was, it was, so it's been out for, for a month. What's the feedback been on it? Uh, yes, people uh, are super excited, you know, about the power of food right the power that's literally in our hands and on our plates so you know i mean what what is the big takeaway here i mean i know that there's a I, i'm so itching to talk about the, a similar study that was done because that to me is just it's mind-blowing because there's there's another layer to this onion as they say and i i really want to peel that back but we have to save it for another segment but this for for diabetics i think is is really promising and i think that it really speaks to a lot of what we also have already known about the effectiveness of a plant-based diet and nutrition on diabetes. You know, obviously you get a huge benefit from um, if you're a type 2 diabetic, you see results such as this. But even type 1 diabetics, you know, can have such a higher quality of life. It's all a matter yeah. really in speaking with you and your colleagues, what I've come to find out since doing these shows. It's really what you put in your body is hmm. so critically important, so critically important, you know. Yeah. And one important thing to mention. Yes. Uh, so um, we've. We proved uh, that one single plant-based meal is able to increase your insulin secretion as effectively as, uh, as your medications. Um, but, you know, another thing to realize is that uh, the plant-based diet does a lot more. Your medication may increase your insulin secretion, but will not affect your cholesterol levels, your high blood pressure, and so on. Mm -hmm. While the plant-based meal will address all these risk factors at once. It's a so cover-all. It's a multiple medication comparison study, right? I was I was actually thinking about that uh, just the other day. Um, I was I was thinking I was like every medication that's on the market, virtually all of them, you know, target one specific yeah. symptom, and they treat the symptom, but they never treat the overlying cause. And I was like, well, what if there was one medication that would just treat the cause and come to fun? I was like, duh, you know, it's 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 what's on your plate, man. Like that <laughs> that that is your medication right there, and that's that's really so unique, you know. It's like you can combat that cholesterol, you can combat the diabetes, hypertension, lower your risk of yeah. cancer, Alzheimer's. I mean, the list is it, it could just go on for days. So think about your veggie burger as twenty pills in one. Aha. Uh -huh. <laughs> 
<laughs> 20 pills equals one veggie burger. <laughs> so, and and this was, again, just one meal. Imagine, Addressing you know. all the root causes of, you know, all chronic disease we've been suffering from. Uh, as a physician, I always like to ask this. What is your message to people who say, well, one hamburger won't hurt me? What what do you say to that? What, what's What's your counter? So we just proved uh, that we can see the effects of one single hamburger, uh, you know, on your ability to secrete um, these incretin hormones and insulin. So uh, we can tell the difference. Uh, if I can tell the difference from the lab results, uh, you can also tell the difference in how you feel, how it affects your body. And if you have, uh, you know, the choice, you can just purchase a veggie burger next door. Why would you go for the hamburger right. in the first place? Right. That's a, that's a very good question. Uh, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask what the study participants, I mean, what were their reactions to the results? Yeah, they were really surprised. <laughs> <laughs> they were shocked by how big of a difference it makes. And we were also collecting um, the data on uh, how satisfied with their meal they were. And they were more satisfied with the veggie burger than with the with the regular hamburger. In terms of taste? In terms of taste and also in terms of satiety. Ah, see, now satiety. That is the other layer yeah. of the onion I was talking about because this is – it's mind-blowing and I'm just going to leave it at that because mm -hmm. we, we need to spend an entire other segment just talking about that. <laughs> because when you sent me that paper, I was like, no – way there's just no way it is it is the coolest bit of research uh that uh, we have had on this show so i'm gonna end this segment here uh but dr kaliova please uh we're gonna have you back on very soon we're gonna talk about the satiety and how a plant-based burger can help keep you feeling fuller uh, a lot longer than a regular hamburger how about that uh dr hana kaliova thank you so much for coming in thank you In the interest of full disclosure, we actually taped that segment before we talked about her other burger study where she compared the fullness, the satiety of a regular hamburger, that McDonald's burger, and a veggie burger. Which kept you fuller longer? Well, she studied. You should go back and check out that episode. It's already been released. Just look for the Burger Battle episode. Give it a listen. It is definitely worth your time. Now, I don't know about you, but all of this talk about veggie burgers has made me hungry. So I thought I would reach out to Chef Lauren Kretzer. She is a vegan whiz in the kitchen and she specializes in recipe development. She creates these amazing dishes from scratch. And I thought it would be fantastic if she would create a veggie burger just for this show. And wouldn't you know? She came through like a superstar, created this mouth-wateringly good smoky black bean burger recipe. Yes, indeed. Thanks to Lauren, we now have the Exam Room Burger. Put it on your menus, ladies and gentlemen. And yes, you better believe that recipe will be up on our website, pcrm.org slash podcast. Continuing here on the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. We are examining 
plant-based burgers and regular burgers. But what if you're a burger aficionado? What if you say, my goodness gracious, I would go vegan, but I would miss my burger? Well, my friend, you are in luck today because I have with me a woman who can cure all that ails you, Chef Lauren Kretzer. She is a vegan chef and a recipe developer, and my goodness gracious, what she whips up is absolutely delicious. Lauren, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Chuck. Talk to me about this burger that you have whipped up for us. What is it? Okay, so I've made here a smoky black bean quinoa burger. So this is completely plant-based, and it also happens to be gluten-free. And as a little added bonus, it's also oil-free. So anyone looking to trim out um, added oils in their diet, this is a great burger for you. And what I've done here is I've um, given it that like beefiness by making the basis of this burger black beans. So they're very hearty. Um, they're super high in fiber, so they're going to keep you full. Um, but they also have that great uh, meaty sort of texture, especially when you grind them up with some quinoa and walnuts. And then I've also put in some um, tahini and tomato paste just to give it a ton of flavor. And then we've also added in a little bit of smoked paprika, which is going to give it that smoky flavor as well. And you can up the smokiness even more by throwing these on the grill. Um, you might want to put on a little bit of foil so it doesn't stick to the grill since these are oil free or you can brush the outsides with oil if you're okay with that. Um, and yeah, these are just super satisfying. They're really high in fiber, really high in protein. They have um, some healthy fats in them from the walnuts and t um, tahini. So it's just, just a great filling burger all around. Yeah, I was going to ask you how you come up with that smoky flavor. I find flavor replication just to be an absolutely fascinating process. So you, you actually went with the, um, uh, the, the smoked paprika here. Uh, it, it, by itself, does that have a really pungent kind of taste to it or is it kind of mild or... Oh, okay. Yeah. It's a little goes a long way, actually. So you'll see in the recipe, it only has a quarter teaspoon. Um, and you'll definitely taste the smokiness. If you're a really big fan of smoky flavor, you can even boost it up to half a teaspoon. But you're also getting some smoky flavor from the chili powder. That's a little bit less pronounced than the smoked paprika, but the two combined are really great. How does how does the taste compare to, say, a liquid smoke that you could also find in the store? Um, liquid smoke is definitely more intense. That's like more of a hickory um, you know, what you would get of cooking something over an open flame, per se, like a, like a wood fire. Um, but the smoked paprika is slightly more subtle, but like I said, a little goes a long way. All right, so let's talk about the process of making said burger. A lot of us are all about convenience, and, you know, if you have had plant-based burgers in the past, you probably have gotten them out of the frozen section at your local grocer. But we're making this one from scratch. So my first question about that is, how laborious is this? How much time should we budget if we're going to make these burgers? Um, from start to finish, especially if you have the quinoa pre-cooked, it's not going to take you more than, I think, 20 to 25 minutes. Um, if you haven't cooked the quinoa, then you're going to want to budget in some time for that. But quinoa takes about 15 minutes to cook from start to finish. So all in all, I mean, you're looking at definitely under 45 minutes. And like I said, if you have your quinoa pre-cooked or in the freezer, you could just defrost it. This will come together super fast. Basically, you're just throwing the ingredients in a food processor and then once they're out of the food processor, you're baking them, and it only takes between 18 and 20 minutes for the patty to um, fully cook and firm up. Now, when you put it in the food processor, how finely chopped are we going to make this mixture? Are we turning it almost completely into a paste, or do you still want some chunk in there? What's, what's the goal? I mean, I personally prefer a little bit of texture, but that's completely up to the individual. So if you like a little bit of bite, some texture to your burger, then just pulse it um, until it just comes together. Um, you should be able to pinch it between your thumb and your index finger, and it should hold together. Um, if you like a really smooth burger, then by all means, like, 
pulse it a little more, but you don't want it to be to the consistency of hummus. So, you know, you don't want to go too far gone. So just, you know, just pulse it until it looks right to you. And like I said, you can just test it by pinching a little bit between your fingers. And the recipe that you've come up with here, Serve 6, so this is indeed a family dish. And if it only takes 20, 25 minutes or so, you know, that's not bad for even a weeknight. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you want, if you have some um, big appetites in your family, you can even make this Serve 4. Just make the patties a little bigger. So let's talk about after the burgers are ready, you pull them out of the oven or off of the grill, you put them on that bun. What do you recommend topping them with? What is the go-to here? I know a lot of people will automatically go to lettuce, tomato, onion, you know, the standard on a burger. But I I have a sneaking suspicion you might take things just to the next level. (laughs) Well, I'm a typical vegan, so I love sliced avocado and sprouts on mine, but I also love pickled jalapeno on mine. Um, some quick pickled red onion would be awesome on this. Um, if you're into vegan cheese, I love tree line cheese. Some of that on the bun is really yummy. Um, but really is whatever you like, whatever you typically top a regular burger with a meat based burger, you could put on this. Um, and it would taste just as great, if not better, because the nice thing about these burgers is that you're not just tasting the fat. You're tasting all these other fresh ingredients, the fresh cilantro, the beans, the tamari, et cetera. And, um, those toppings just further accent that. So it's a real flavor bomb and it's totally customizable to your palate. I like that term, flavor bomb. That's that's outstanding. <laughs> I think that that needs to become a regular phrase on this show, flavor bomb. That's just fun to say. <laughs> so here's the thing. Uh, you may say, hey, well, where can I find this recipe? And I would say, hey, you can find it on pcrm.org slash podcast. But that's the only place you're going to find this because this is a Lauren Kretzer original. And that's what I dig most about you is that you come up with these from scratch. Yep. I'm a recipe developer. Um, that's part of uh, one of my services. So I'm happy to make this for the listeners of the exam room um, just so everyone can see that you don't need beef to have a delicious burger. Oh, and, and we're happy that you're sharing that with us. Believe you me, I think that there are going to be a lot of listeners making this for dinner tonight. Um, so if people want to get in touch with you, I know that you're also big on social media. What, uh, where should we follow you? So I'm primarily on Instagram at Chef Lauren Kretzer. Um, but you can also visit my website, and that's www.laurenkretzer.com. And there's a contact page there as well if you want to get in touch with me. Perfect. And we're going to link off to both of those, both in the show notes on Apple Podcasts as well as on PCRM.org slash podcast. Uh, and I'm going to go give you a follow right now, and I'm going to go like a whole bunch of your dishes that you put up there because I'm sure that they are all out of this world. Thank you so much. Lauren Kretzer, it is a true pleasure. Can't wait to taste this burger. That beats the heck out of anything you're ever going to find at the drive-thru. The Exam Room Burger. Yes, indeed. If there's ever anything you're curious about on this show, we would love to get you an answer. So find us on social media. I'm at Chuck Carroll, WLC, and the show is at PCRM. And on Instagram, I'm at Chuck Carroll, WLC, once again, and the show this time a little bit different, spelled out at Physicians Committee. We want to get our message and the research that we've been talking about today out to as many people as possible, and we need your help to make that happen. And one of the easiest ways that you can help is just head over to Apple Podcast, find the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee, and give the show a five-star rating. 
And when you give that high rating, you help expand our reach and you make it easier for other people to find this important information. You make it easier for them to get healthy. Looking ahead now to next week's show, we are going to be talking about weight loss. Who doesn't like talking about weight loss? Such a hot topic. You know, maybe you've been there before. That that point where after a few weeks, maybe even after a couple of months, you start a new diet, and hopefully that's a diet that lasts a lifetime. But regardless, you know that point where the weight suddenly stops coming off and the scale doesn't want to budge? It just looks right at you and says, hey, buddy. I'm not moving. Well, how do you get those pounds to keep rolling off? How do you get past that plateau? I'm going to be joined by dietitian Karen Smith to help figure that out. I've heard that no matter what diet you do, at some point you're going to hit this plateau and then magically a few weeks later, the weight is just going to start falling off again. I don't know how much truth there is to that. You tell me. Yeah, I'm not sure how much truth there is to that either, but I do see that people often hit a plateau, and at that point it's just like, all right, we've got to reevaluate what you're currently doing because to some extent they have had success you know, with, with a plan. Um, and then they hit this plateau, and I've got two words for you, calorie density. Mm. Like, let's look at that. Um, which if you're not familiar with calorie density, it's when you compare food by weight, right? So if you have a pound, a whole pound of non-starchy vegetables, guess how many calories are in that pound? Uh, it depends on the vegetable, doesn't it? On average. And a pound of vegetables, let's say 100, 150, 200? You got it. Yeah. So just 100 calories. Yeah. Like if you have a pound of spinach, broccoli, carrots are a little bit more, right? But that's, that's a whole lot of food. A pound of spinach is a lot of spinach. A lot of a, spinach. Until you cook it down, tub. right? Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> but if you make a salad out of that, forget it. Like, you better have You'd a be big bowl. You'd be chewing all day long. Yeah, right? Right? Or at least for an hour or so. So then you've got fruits, right, at only yeah. about 300 calories per pound. And that that's one of the things that I find is, like, mind-blowing because I have people coming in and telling me that, they're scared to eat more than half of a banana mm -hmm. because, you know, oh my gosh, there's so much sugar. There's these carbs and fruit that, that are going to make them fat. And I'm like, well, how's that working for you? Like, you're not eating fruit now and you're stuck. Right. So how about you trust me on this one and start eating more fruit? It absolutely will not lead to weight gain. Absolutely will not. It is never, ever, ever, ever the fruit. Um, that is causing somebody to gain weight. Man, that weight loss plateau. That's a big one. And we're going to be tackling it on the show next week with Karen. So definitely looking forward to solving that mystery. But as for this week, my thanks again to doctors Joel Kahn and Hannah Kaliova, as well as chef Lauren Kretzer for taking the time to join us. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, keep it plant-based.